Welcome to the LaRouge Rugby Podcast with your hosts, Derek Brissett, Stu Hardy, and Dan Murphy. Often used as the backline battering ram at the inside centre position. Ferguson goes away and Mirrors sniping through. Gaston Mirrors for the line. Well, not all tries are created equally. And Gaston Mirrors snipes through yet again. That's the bonus point. And the Arrows find themselves in a commanding lead. Hello, everyone. And welcome to another summer episode of the LaRouge Rugby Podcast. The Arrows have once again made a splash on the market, and the lads are back to break it all down. Gentlemen, we're starting to see a clear picture of what the Arrows are going to look like on the field. Are you guys excited about some of the signings that they've made and, you know, past signings and what these Toronto Arrows are starting to show us what 2021 will look like? Yeah, I'm... uh... Well, I think one of the big things that came from the Arrows for 2020 was their high retention rate of players. So by signing uh, two new players and re-signing three players that we already know, I think it builds on the team culture as well as the fan understanding of who's in the team and who to look forward to next season. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the Arrows have obviously you know, been one of the better teams in Major League Rugby as far as player retention. So, you know, seeing three uh, key cogs to the lineup come back for uh, 2021 is obviously great to see. Um, I do like and how you were just like, let's just dive right into this analysis of the uh, the picks. It's like, no, like, hey, how, like, how's your weekend going? No, or, I don't want to hear no, about like, it. No catch up on anything. It's No, I'm too excited about, about these signings. I, we need to get right into it. Let's just go. Just dive right into it. All right, all right, well. <laughs> Well then, uh, let the uh, if the people didn't see it, man, like let, let them know uh, who the arrows uh, locked up. Yeah, so they they were uh, busy announcing, and we're going to start with the people that are are returning. And like like uh, Stu said, retention from previous years has been uh, important. And uh, the, the three players that they announced are returning are, are players that have been part of the two previous campaigns with the Toronto Arrows, uh, twenty nineteen and the shortened twenty twenty year. Uh, Cole Keith, Paul Cellini, and Gaston Merez um, are all returning to the fold. Um, Stu, I'm going to start with you because uh, I like you more. Uh, who are you more excited to see back in the blue and white? You know, these three have offer very different you know tool sets to the the arrow. So who are you excited to see back? Well, I think first of all, these are three great names to bring back for 2021. Um, Cole Keith, as many of us will know, is fast becoming the number one prop choice for both the Arrows and Canada. Gaston Mirez, if anyone does go to Lamport Stadium in the near future, I'm sure you can still see the scorch marks from where Mirez has run to score a few tries down there. But Cialini, he is a big presence in the squad. He's appeared in all but one of the Arrows MLR games. He's a lock who, if you th- if you see him in a game and you think, oh, I haven't really uh, given him much thought, he's had a pretty quiet game, it's because Cialini has been doing the work time in, time out consistently. And he's still young. He's still with plenty to give. So Keith and Mirez, of course, I'm happy to see them back in the squad, but Cialini, definitely the most exciting choice. 
And Derek, do you agree with, with Stu? Do you feel like Cellini will, will offer the most out of the three, or is your mindset somewhere else? Uh, well, I mean, like, all three of them are key cogs in the uh, the arrows machine here, so I, I'm excited that all three of them are back. I think if, if you kind of had to – if I had to pick a guy to – what your question was, who are you most excited about? Um, to be honest, for me, it's Cole Keith. Um you know, Keith was a guy, he had an interesting uh, 2019 season. He started the first game for the Toronto Arrows against the NOLA Gold and then went on to the ARC. But while he was at the ARC, Morgan Mitchell played out of his mind and, uh, you know, kind of established himself as the, you know, first choice tight head prop on the Toronto Arrows. And when the ARC concluded and Cole Keith came back to the team, he, uh, you know, had a hard time finding his way back into the number three jersey while Morgan Mitchell was just playing outstanding rugby. Um, and then, you know, during this offseason, Cole Keith got the opportunity to go through Canada's entire World Cup campaign through the Summer Internationals and then obviously on to Japan, um, where he started games at the World Cup. And, you know, he had a very, he had a solid World Cup. And, you know, that accompanied with Mitchell moving on, signing a contract to play in Japan. It kind of opened the door for him to regain that number three jersey and be the guy in Toronto once again. And, you know, he took that opportunity and jumped at it. He is, you know, he might be the most, maybe the most improved player in Major League Rugby. He looked phenomenal this year and you know it's it's a sh one of those things where it's like it's a shame that uh you know COVID-19 kind of shut down the season because you know for the first five games of this year he was playing some of the best rugby I think we've ever seen Cole Keith play um his he had a the game against Seattle where he was phenomenal he had 41 Rucker Mall arrivals during that game just an outstanding work rate all over the pitch um that game against rugby ATL full 80 minute shift um the you know him as well as you know on the tight head side it's him and Cellini they destroyed the rugby ATL um loose head side of that scrum like it was just penalty after penalty after penalty which allowed the arrows to you know come back in that game in the second half and ultimately walk away from uh Atlanta with a victory there and you know it's just I really just was like man like I it's it's a shame that it ended because it was you know it was he was on track to be playing like the best rugby of his career. And I would have liked to see that kind of play out through the rest of the season. And, you know, Gaston Mirez, um, to be honest, man, if you got a, if you were to pick like one guy in the, uh, the league, you had to pay money to go see Gaston Mirez is probably high up on your list. Um, definitely one of the most exciting players in major league rugby, as Stu said, leaving the, uh, the scorch marks along the pitch at Lamport <laughs> field. Um, so you know, he's going to be good for a couple highlight reel tries um, mixed in there as well. And, you know, he's actually now that, um, you know, fun little stat, I guess, now that Den Moore is retired, he's the Arrows uh, franchise active leader in most tries scored sitting at eight, um, which is second all time behind Den Moore's 11. Um, but yeah, now that Dan Moore's retired, though, I guess he he's the active leader. And also now that Dan Moore's retired, it's like going to probably look like uh, Mirez, uh, you know, and the, the other wingers that they'll bring in. Um, are you know they're going to have that little increased responsibility and stuff too now that the uh you know the legendary captain has uh, called it a career yeah uh it's what you kind of said there derek is why i think uh Marez will be my uh player to watch coming back out of this batch of signings you know there's going to be a lot of new cogs in the machine with uh gonzalez joining the the, the crew either at 10 or 15 or 
Adams at 15, you know, there's a lot of uncertainty. So to have someone that, you know, he kind of returned a little earlier than the rest of the ARC guys in that first season. So he's been part of this arrows backline for a good, good chunk of their existence. So, you know, I look to him to be a leader and to, to kind of lead by example. And, you know, the arrows have been thinking about that as well. So they brought another uh, South American to join and lead by example. Uh, Gaston Cortez, the uh, much experienced Argentinian prop. Yeah, he's bringing club experience uh, from Bristol um, and, uh, and playing over in the UK. Was most recently with Glasgow for a you know, period of time before COVID was never able to uh, join the pitch. But, you know, has Puma experience. You know, my question to you guys is, you know, he's 34 years old, if I read that correctly. Um, what does the management see with Gaston? Um, you know, do they see him as a quasi player coach kind of guy? Like, you know, we had Phil Mack out West um, in, in their two championship years, or do they really expect him to be challenging for a spot against Cole Keith? And I mean, like, like Derek said, Cole Keith had is, I mean, up until COVID-19 was playing the best rugby of his life and fresh off of a world cup. So what should we expect of Gaston? Well, I don't think he's going to necessarily get the, uh, like that Phil Mack title designation of being a player coach, but to a degree, I think he's going to kind of be a bit of a de facto coach. I think if you like, he's coming in for that experience, right? That's what you kind of want to bring in. And I mean, like if you look at the Toronto, like the props that the Toronto arrows have signed right now, um, Cortez would be the fourth prop that's been officially signed for the, uh, 2021 season, right? The other three being Cole Keith, Richie Asiata, and Tyler Rowland. And um, between Keith, Asiata, and Rowland, they are all under the age of 24. Now, uh, if Pat Lynott comes back as well, or officially comes back, then Lynott will be 25 years old. So you're going to have four of your props being under the age of 25. Your starting props are both going to be under the, in, you know, if we're kind of handicapping the depth chart here, probably going to be um, Asieta in the one jersey and Keith in the three jersey. So your two starting props are probably going to be both under the age of 24 as well. So I think to bring in a guy like Cortez that's played, you know, 114 games for the Bristol Bears. He's played a couple seasons for the Tigers. Um, yeah, like you said, he hasn't didn't get a chance to play with Glasgow because of COVID-19. But, you know, he was going to go there, and Glasgow's a great team. So if they're like, we want this guy, and this guy can help us, that also says something. And, um, you know, he, his last, he only has five caps. His last one was against the All Blacks in 2018. So he's – like, that's – relatively recent all things considered so he's recently been capped and capped against one of the best teams in the world as well so there's a lot of experience that he can bring especially with the how young the Toronto Arrows props are and prop is usually a position that takes some guys a little bit longer to develop right so you know like you got to think like a guy like Cole Keith as good as he is right now, it's like there's a lot of potential for him to get a lot better. And I think a guy like Cortez is going to be looked at by like the Ontario, um, the Toronto Arrows coaching staff to help Keith 
get to that next level and improve even more than what he's already done. Almost like situations like that that makes you start that transition into coaching, you know, the, the, the scrum coach position or, you know, having, having something under, under your belt where you say, listen, yeah, I was with the Toronto Arrows for a year and I did a lot of you know, helping out those young guys and look at where they are now. Look at that Cole Keith. Look at that uh, Richie Aizada. How do you feel about this, Stu? Because, I mean, you're seeing someone that's been playing in, you know, the RFU for a long time. And, you know, he, he went up and down with Bristol, but, you know, also played with the Tigers, you know, and made 10 appearances with them. And, you know, having someone of that caliber join your team is always helpful. Oh, absolutely. Um, well, one thing to remember is while MLR is its own entity, is that the – English Premiership um, has relegation into the Championship, which is one of the toughest um, playoff competitions to have in rugby in the sense of that the Championship team, this is back in to the majority of the 2010s, would be top four and it would be a playoff position. And then the final would actually be two legs. So you play home and away. And Bristol were in the majority of those playoff competitions and it would just be a case of they would lose on aggregate so they spend another year in the championship and this was a team that consistently was number one in the championship throughout their entire time in that those respective seasons only to lose it in the final playoff which is soul crushing but again it's incredibly tough and Cortez has been there through both promotions in the 2010s for Bristol. They're now, um, thankfully for them, a permanent, uh, sort of permanent fixture within the Premiership. Um, but obviously going to Tigers, again, one of the most decorated teams in the English Premiership means that this is a guy who obviously had not only the experience, but the talent as well. And I know we're talking about experience, but having that talent as well, because to still be playing in his position at 34 is not something to be sniffed at. And while yes, we can say he can be a player coach possibly within the arrows. I think he can definitely do some more of his coaching roles possibly with the arrows Academy and be the influence for next generation of arrows going forward. I like that. Yeah. And I think that, uh, you know, we, we need as Kim to not be afraid to let, <laughs> foreign foreign uh, powers come into play with our development of our young players. And I think that, uh, you know, guys like Cortez and, then, you know, Sam and Malcolm before, you know, he left, these are guys that are going to make a big difference. Look at what Sam Windsor is doing down in Houston. You know, the guy has just been working nonstop since he arrived with the Sabercats too, you know, pitching with, with meeting with local talent. And he, I, there's even like videos of him going to like, football teams and just working with the kickers on how to like place kick properly and punters and stuff like that. So it's like, it's, it's stuff like that. That's going to make, you know, uh, local talent develop. And, 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 you know, with these Academy programs are just starting up. Uh, it'll be very interesting. Yeah. I mean, like that's one of the great things, right? It's like, like you said, it's like, it's not, I don't, he's not, I don't think he's getting that designation as like a player coach to the degree that like Phil Mack was considered a player coach, but like, yeah, that's one of the great things you bring in some of these vets with 
you know, all that, you know, the talent of playing at the highest level, that experience of playing at that highest level. And like, as Stu said, like, you know, even going through like some of those tough, you know, playoff battles, uh, trying to, you know, trying to win promotion to the, to the, uh, the premiership or even like those tough battles toward the end of a season where you're trying to stave off regulation. And it's, you know, that's invaluable experience. And it's something that, like a lot of the players on the Toronto Arrows have not necessarily had to go through. I mean, a lot of them had the, uh, the epic, you know, seven game win streak for their playoff push in um, 2019. But, you know, it's, you know, to be able to say that, you know, he did that in the, the premiership in the championship and, you know, even, I mean, he, hopefully like if COVID didn't shut it down, he would have played in the pro 14 too, but, you know, and obviously having some experience against some of the top international teams playing for the Pumas as well. And, you know, there's, there's a lot that the young props on the Toronto arrows are going to be able to learn from them there. And, you know, and that just trickles down and makes the entire organization better. So we're going to go to the other side of the uh, career spectrum. Siaki Vikilani who uh, is the last signing in this, this batch of arrows uh, is quite the interesting prospect. Uh, Vicky Lani, you know, during his uh, 2019 U20 campaign uh, was coming off the bench um, in the qualifiers and in the world trophy. And I mean, just looking at the roster from that tournament, I mean, you have Nick Carson at eight, Mason Fletch and Quentin James Carson and, and James both have Academy deals overseas so it is a tough tough group to you know break into but he had a strong campaign with pacific pride as well you know started against the sea wolves with the crimson tide um so he's been kind of his, his stock has been rising in the last you know six months or so pre-covid um where do we see him fit in this roster because you know, you look at who's currently signed, we've got three back row players already signed with, you know, four if you include Colby Francis. You know, where do we see him? And then there's going to be more players coming on the way. Where, where do we – where is he going to fit? Well, as you mentioned, um, he's been utilized as an impact sub. And I can definitely see him coming into that role. Uh, for the arrows however as with all of these signings and re-signings it should really say we'll have to wait until the pre-season training begins and then we can see where each player is going to fit um i did see a highlight of him from um pacific friday i think it was against the Thun uh, ubc thunderbirds and yeah solid drives asset for the set pieces and uh the toronto arrows actually released um a bit of information about it like he's six foot three 235 pounds which i'm pretty sure are the same height and weight classifications as superman so <laughs> i can definitely see him being a huge impact for the arrows and yeah and you know obviously we're talking about um pacific pride against university teams so in more of the amateur competitions there's going to be a difference between that and coming into mlr but i can definitely see um Bikilani making a big impact in the future yeah you know what now that i think about it i've never seen siaki Vikilani and uh 
Superman in the same spot. So I feel like there, there uh, might be, you know, we might be onto something here, Stu. It might be if he's the same, same height, same weight. That's, you know, I don't know, man. Anybody ever see him wearing like square, like thick rimmed glasses? Yeah, and maybe like, maybe we're maybe he maybe Stu's onto something here. I've never seen him in the same. Spot. Didn't you get that uh, internship at the Daily Planet? <laughs> yeah, maybe. Well, hey, that's based on the the Toronto Star in Toronto. Mm-hmm. So there we go. It's all just adding up even more now because he can do yeah, that while he's playing. We're, fine, we're finding Bears. the truth. We're fine. We're getting the truth out. Well, there we go. Yeah. So the Toronto. So anyways, all right. So the Toronto oh, Arrows have apparently just signed Superman, according to <laughs> Stu in this podcast now. Yeah. So with Superman here, they are getting a pretty like they're getting a grade eight. And um, he, you know, he has a great ball carrying ability consistently over the game line. He also yeah, is unreal offloading, um, which is always an asset for any team. If you're looking to go forward with the ball, um, I think realistically kind of looking at it, um, you know, being an, a back role player on the Toronto Arrows, that is a tough spot to crack. I think the the Arrows are the deepest team in Major League Rugby and back row might be their deepest position. And I think it was kind of evident this year when you're seeing guys like Marcello Wainwright and Peter Malazzo and even Francis to a degree too, they all kind of got bumped down the depth chart with Della Vega and Diana being signed. And so it's kind of like, and those guys were huge, important pieces to the Toronto Arrows making that big playoff push in 2019. And now it's like Malazzo played nearly every minute of every game last year, was second in the league in lineout steals, just invaluable asset to the Toronto Arrows. And he was coming off the bench for all of 2020 um, because, you know, Della Vega, Diana showed up and, you know, looking at it, like you said, officially this year, officially right now, we have um, Della Vega, Wayne Wright, Colby Francis all in the back row too. Um, so it's probably looking like that depth um, when you think like, hopefully, you know, adding guys like Lucas Rumball, uh, Manuel Diana, if he returns, you know, it's like, it's going to be a really deep back row. And, you know, ultimately it's like, I kind of wonder if you, maybe, maybe we end up with something similar to what Tyler Rowland did this year, where he kind of like, he played a couple games with the arrows, went back to pride, you know, maybe there'll be a little bit of that back and forth thing, get him in that professional environment, allow him to develop. Because I think that's a big part of what the MLR is going to need to do, right? Like for say, for like some of the, the older guys and stuff, it's like they didn't have professional rugby in Canada available to them when they were young. But now for guys like Vicky Lani, coming in it's like he's 19 years old and he gets the opportunity to dive into that professional environment basically right away and i think like that'll be great for his development and even if that like i don't necessarily think that means he's going to be playing every game for the arrows and stuff so um but you never know opportunities can arise through a variety of different ways avery oideman showed up on this team at 19 years old and was probably the first choice winger for you know, the bulk of the season too, before he uh, had to leave for his, some of his international duty last year as well. It, it will be very interesting. And again, there's still a lot of uncertainties that we talked about uh, and, and, and Derek kind of hit the nail on the head with guys still haven't signed yet. So we might be saying that this, this team will look completely different. We don't, we just don't know. Also, because so Stu thinks Vicky Lani is Superman and Rumball we have established as Aquaman. So the Toronto Arrows are getting close to having like the pack just being like Justice League. So which I mean that's gonna be that's gonna be tough to beat too. 
we just need to get like a like utility player that's yeah. super rich. And then yeah, there we go. We, yeah, the, the green, but the green arrow gets to be the leader, but he's got to change his costume to blue for the whole thing. Oh god, we are going down this a hole, terrible. and I'm not liking where this is going. <laughs> but it's fine. This we're, is why we're... this is why Bill Webb doesn't want to use any of our ideas for marketing purposes. <laughs> uh, we are moving on, and gentlemen. He's a smart because man for not doing that. I can't sit here and talk about superheroes anymore. Mostly because I've got an older brother who's a big fan, and they would just drive me crazy if we talked about it. But we are moving on, and we are moving back to the island of Hawaii. And uh, we thought that we were all done discussing Speaking of this Aquaman, we're going to move to Hawaii. Nice segue. <laughs> nice segue. Nice segue. Well done, Dan. Well done. He took the Aquaman right into Hawaii. That was excellent. So we thought that we would be done with this subject for a period of time, but... Uh, MLR decided to do something that is actually a welcome change. And we've been kind of banging this drum about transparency. And lo and behold, we got some transparency from the league. Um, the Kenaloa Hawaii Rugby um, is now officially in the process of finalizing the, and I put this in quotations, expansion benchmarks, which weren't very clear. They didn't really kind of give descriptors of what those were, you know, whether that meant, you know, finalizing where your finances are coming from, your venue, you know, it, it can mean a lot of different things. But essentially, they have 90 days to finalize uh, before being brought to the board for final approval. Gentlemen, this is definitely a big step from, you know, we thought we talked this to death last episode, and, and yet we still have big information being dropped. Um, you know, this is a really big step. How do we first feel because... This is something that we did talk about. How, how are we feeling now that we know that things are getting approved, that we might see a Hawaiian team in 2021? Has, has your mind changed from the week before? Well, I said that I would think it would be very great to have uh, the team in 2021. Um, and I think with the amount of information that have been said on podcasts, uh, articles that have been written about it, it has evolved to the point of, the Kanaloa team being an open secret. So it's good that MLR have made this announcement and have said, we recognize that this team wants to join. We're giving them 90 days to confirm all the details and then um, be brought to the board of directors. And it is good to see this level of openness with the fans as well. I It may have been the case that if the season had played out in its entirety, we maybe wouldn't have got this information or maybe this wouldn't even have happened. And maybe Colorado would have announced a few months later that they were leaving the league and therefore Hawaii wouldn't be able to have a team in place until 2022. Um, but ultimately I think that if they've gotten to the point where they can present a, um, present, well, basically present a plan to the board of directors within 90 days that they are definitely much further along than I'd say, like some of the naysayers would say. Um, maybe they just haven't gotten all the legal documents signed and that's the thing that's keeping everything from being um, confirmed. But for me, ideally, I said I would like them for 2021 and I, I still am of that mindset, 2021, Hawaii, let's do it. Yeah, I mean, I think we talked about it on our last episode, so I don't want to 
necessarily dive too much into it, but I still think 2022 to me is, you know, the, the better way to go just because you can, you know, take that, like I said, take that kind of Vegas Golden Knights route that the NHL did and spend that year just hyping up the team, hyping, you know, up, hyping up a pro franchise in a location that hasn't really had a pro franchise. Um, there has been pro sports in Hawaii before. They had a, a team called the Hawaiian Islanders played in the Pacific Coast League, uh, minor league baseball. Uh, Tony Gwynn, Barry Bonds are counted among some of their alumni. Um, so like, yeah, and, uh, they used to have a team as well in the, uh, the, uh, the world football league that kind of started up that attempted to be a rival to the NFL, but ultimately did not pan out. So I think they only lasted like a year or two. Um, but so it's like, they, there's been pro sports that have happened in Hawaii and the, the Hawaii Islanders played for like two deck, two or three decades almost. So, um, like it, it can be done. Um, it's just, there's obviously a lot of logistical issues and stuff with it, but I still think 2022 would be better for me just because you can take that time, do a little bit of marketing, hype it up. Um, players availability might increase as well. Um, but yeah, they got 90 days to uh, meet those expansion benchmarks. Um, you know, it's that, like I said, they didn't go into too much detail. Um, but you know, one of those benchmarks is the expansion fee. They have to, you know, gather up the money to, in order to pay the expansion fee, um, which is apparently significantly higher than what LA paid to come in Dallas being a little bit different since they've been in the league for a while. Um, so, you know, that's something that they also have to hit. You know, there's been some of those reports going around that, you know, they're getting agreements with the Hawaii airlines and like certain hotel chains. Cause you know, teams are concerned about not necessarily, you know, wanting the travel costs and things like that to go up to. Um, so th those have to all get sorted out. So they have to, I guess, I'm guessing they kind of have to come up with a plan to figure out how they're going to do that exactly or how, you know, they said that they have these sponsorships in place. So I guess, you know, part of it is reviewing that and seeing how much it would be. Um, one of the questions that I kind of have though too is it's like, is there going to be, you know, obviously 14 teams versus 13 teams. Um, so there might be some changes to the scheduling, changes to the format. And one of those things, like if, if we're concerned with the travel costs, because obviously everybody kind of looking at, we're going to put a team in Hawaii if you're thinking like from a business standpoint, the first logistical issues with putting a team in Hawaii that jump out at you is the travel costs to get there, how long it takes to get there and time zones for broadcasting games on TV. Right. Which if the NFL, you know, you can do, you can have them play. I think like, I mean, we're already used to, you know, stand up for like a, you know, a 1030 Seattle Seawolf start. Right. So it's like if Toronto has to play Hawaii and it starts at 1030 PM, I'm fine with that. But it's like nobody wants it to start at like 1 a.m. or something. That wouldn't be good for anybody. Um, but so you kind of have to think of that. And I wonder if one of the things that they'll kind of do is and I mean, maybe get some of your guys opinions on this right now. But like I feel like there's going to be a way for the schedule to be made like, well, I don't necessarily like, I mean, if I was coming up with one i think i might be going for you have 16 games next year um and you know you have a 14 team league so you have 13 opponents so 16 games you can do the division thing unless you're adding three games to get it to 19 you can't do that format that they did last year of play everybody in your conference twice and then play everybody in the other conference once but you know if you take if you add to get to the 19 
you would have to, you're probably risking going into the international window because people have been saying that it's going to start like February 13th or so is going to be the first week of the season. So if you're not starting it earlier, which is probably a bad idea anyways, because it will conflict with the NFL playoffs and nobody wants to do that. Um, and then versus the international window at the end. So I feel like the 16 game schedule fits nicely in between that gap. So I'm thinking like, I wonder, you know, if we're going to end up seeing a format that involves like, you know, you only play four games against the teams in the other conference. And that might involve maybe you only have to play Hawaii in Hawaii, like once every three years or something like that. If you're an Eastern conference team. Well, I think that, especially with the cancellation of the 2020 MLR season, they may be pushing to have more games for 2021 just to make up the cost numbers and ensure that... But how do you, um, how do you get those more games in? Because you can't go into the international window. So where, how do you get those more games in? Well, apparently this is what's currently happening um, for the rugby premiership in England is that they are going to be introducing midweek games. And I know Oof. Toronto has held a midweek game. You have midweek games because with the team the game in Hawaii too. That is true. Midweek, um, mid, yeah. Like who's volunteering to play Hawaii on Sunday and San Diego on Thursday? Who's putting their hand up for, for that? Like, oh, that's a tough that's, trip, man. I think it's a tough yeah, road trip. Absolutely. I think the, I think it's the main issue with MLR for 2021 will be ensuring that they can maintain player welfare whilst at the same time, um, yeah. maximizing revenue from tickets and games and stuff like that. As a, um, well, that's the thing because we haven't been given the schedule for 2021. Well. Well, we can't We're have a schedule. We have to figure point. out how many teams there's going to be first, right? Oh, so absolutely. That's, we can't have a schedule <laughs> yet. We point. don't know how many teams there is. It's going to be – which apparently is something that um, has to be – now also has to be worked out on the league is that figuring out what are we going to do if there's going to be 13 teams, what are we going to do if um, Hawaii is playing next year as far as scheduling purposes and format and stuff. So I guess those discussions are going to start being had um, during this 90-day period, and I'm sure we'll see – know what that ends up looking like eventually um but you know i think the important thing to to note though too is is like if you know whatever these expansion benchmarks are um that the league has to like if hawaii can't reach them within the 90-day period that doesn't mean that they can't ever be an mlr that just means they can't be oh, in no. for the 2021 season which as you kind of mentioned there's there are things that you have to do before the season like you have to come up with like okay what is the schedule gonna look like and obviously and you know even a format and stuff and you know you know and right now the 90-day period ends I think it would be what October 7th from when that announcement was made um so like yeah there's a lot of things that have to be kind of figured out and stuff and I'm sure you know the MLR is going to be working on you know a bunch of options of like you know if Hawaii can hit that benchmark what are we going to do as far as a 14 team schedule and then if Hawaii doesn't hit that benchmark what are we going to do as far as a 13 team schedule and hopefully you know we have those options and stuff and you know 90 days is a long time but hey who knows maybe Hawaii hits some of those benchmarks even you know after 30 days after 40 days 
Um, maybe they don't even need the full 90. Um, maybe and, tomorrow. Yeah, well, yeah, who knows exactly. So one thing to consider is that prior to Colorado's departure, LA and Dallas were uh, scheduled to join um, for 2021. So maybe there was a preliminary outline for a 14-team season. Uh, now, obviously, Colorado and Hawaii, two completely different locations within the United States, and that obviously doesn't take into account of travel and things like that. But maybe there is a plan already set for a 14-team season that will undoubtedly need adjusting, but mm. maybe that can be something that will be in place if Hawaii does reach its target within 90 days. Yeah, I mean, hey, it's it's something that, um, you know, I'm sure they're looking at now. I mean, if they don't have... You know, obviously, you kind of got to work with there's two possibilities right now that it's either you play with 13 teams or you're playing with 14 teams. And I suppose we won't necessarily officially know until at October 7th, I guess, at the latest. Um, or, you know, if they vote on October 7th and then we find out a week later or whatever it would be. But I'm sure they're all working behind the scenes to get that done. Um, my whole thing, man, is it's like it'll be it'll be interesting because I think, um, you know, if you're Hawaii, you probably want this done sooner rather than later right because yeah. like you got to hit that window the tough thing that's one thing that's why i'm saying like like i mean i get that apparently they might have you know maybe the expansion fee goes up if they got to come in next year and mlr is really successful in 2021 maybe you know they got some extra fees to pay you know if they wait another year um so maybe there's some incentive for them that way but i think like for on the field right like you probably like if you're thinking like you know their coaching staff here we got mick Byrne, um you know there's the ownership group has a lot of all blacks um joe roco coco jerome kano john afoa anthony tutavaki ben atija like it's you know if those guys are going to be helping with like recruiting and stuff too um which prob i would imagine they're going to be doing a little bit of because that's probably part of the allure to being like we got six all blacks in our ownership group but you know, they're going to want to be kind of talking to guys a little bit sooner rather than later. Right. Because, you know, guys are already signing contracts for the next season. Oh, yeah. Guys are being locked up for two, maybe even three years um, in some cases there. So it's like, if you want to, if you want to start building your team, you got to start doing that. Cause if you've got to wait till October to start signing guys, teams are going to have like their rosters and final and like maybe nearly finalized by that point. So you're going to be, you know, kind of picking up some of the like the leftover, like I don't want to leftovers is I doubt it's a terrible word to kind of use, but like the like the, you know some of the players that are just you know still free agents after most of the teams already you know filled up some of their the key spots on the rosters. And you know, there's guys like Sam Wuching, and you know uh, other Hawaiian MLR players that have already signed contracts. So it's yeah. it's tough, you know. You, they they want to talk the big game about. We want to get Hawaiian players jobs. Well, those guys are getting jobs quickly and they're filling up. So, you know, if they want to yeah. take this seriously, they got to, they got to hit the ground running. Well, yeah, um, that's, I think that's part of it too, right? It's like, if you're kind of like, Hey, maybe I can go play for Hawaii, but like Houston's offering me a contract and you know, I got to wait 90 days to find out maybe if Hawaii, but like, I don't even know, like the, the, they're not in the league yet officially. Like they might not even be able to talk to players officially. They just might be able to gauge interest and stuff. Right. So um, what, like with what those rules are, so I just think like there's, there is that little bit to me that it's like, that to me is also kind of why 
I think you wait a year, like, because I think you want, like, I think I just I like kind of going back to the Vegas Golden Knights because I think they're like kind of the most recent example of an expansion team in like a major North American sport league. And the way the NHL did their expansion draft was awesome because it kind of ensured that coming out of the gate, the Golden Knights were good. Um, nobody really expected them to be so good that they'd win the Western Conference to get to the Stanley Cup final in their first year of existence. But like but also by doing that, you probably solidified like their fan base and stuff. And I mean, when we were at the MLR Vegas weekend, the Golden Knights had a game like on the Saturday night there. And it was like there, you couldn't walk like a foot on the strip without seeing somebody in a Golden Knights jersey or whatever. Like that play, like it's and Golden Knights game on TV everywhere. It's clear that that city loves that team and stuff. And, and I think it'd be the same thing to me with Hawaii. It's like do an os, do an expansion draft that you know, makes teams have to make some tough decisions and stuff. Right. Like, and you know, maybe that Hawaii ends up with like a decent squad that can compete right away, as opposed to maybe, maybe having to build a team out of, you know, the remaining free agents after most of the teams are already assembled. I think we're going to move on and, and kind of finish up one thing with the whole Hawaiian franchise and, this has been a little bit of a gripe from some fans on Reddit and on Twitter. And I've been kind of following it a little bit because I think it's an interesting perspective. And I think what you bringing up the Golden Knights is an is, is interesting parallel because I'm, I want to make a point about them. But there have been complaints that some people feel that the uh, ownership group um, have not been doing a good enough job with meeting with media outlets in the state's talking about this expansion, you know, they're talking to New Zealand papers and New Zealand uh, uh, TV stations about the expansion. And, and, you know, people are kind of thinking that they're, they're putting a lot more of their focus on the wrong places. And they're saying, you want to build a franchise in Hawaii and, and the States do it in the States. Don't do it, you know, offshore. So my question is to you guys, is do you agree with some of these fans that are kind of griping about this um, or, are you signing with me? And when the Vegas Golden Knights were first announced, they were getting interviewed by TSN. They were getting interviewed by Sportsnet, by CBC. You know, it's big news, and hockey is big news in Canada. So if you're starting an NHL hockey franchise, you're going to talk to Canadian news outlets, and it's almost going to be immediate because that's you know that you're going to get a lot of news from there and fans from up north of the border are going to be making a big deal. So to me, it seems like that's what you do. You know, rugby is the most popular sport in New Zealand and they are going to, you know, run with this story because it is a really interesting story and there is that Polynesian connection. So that is the way I see it. Do you guys agree with me or do you guys think that I am cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs? I agree with you. I think that this um, complaint of the owners focusing mainly on New Zealand and the Pacific nations is such a non-issue. As you mentioned, um, rugby is a national sport of New Zealand. It's not the national sport of the USA. So they're going to get a better reaction by talking to the outlets in New Zealand. The five owners are 
all former All Blacks with Polynesian heritage, the CEO and director of High Performance are New Zealanders with Polynesian heritage. So why wouldn't they promote to the regions they know have a high Polynesian population and care about this? If you were to mention any of the five All Blacks um, in the ownership group and just bring them up in conversation to the average uh, sports fan, maybe not rugby fan, sports fan in uh, the US, how many of them are actually going to know who you're talking about? But if you bring them up in New Zealand, they're instant names. They're people that are have status and that people care about. And I understand that uh, Kanaloa have made a statement that they want to have their team have a 25% Hawaiian um, player um, base. Um, maybe that's not going to be achievable if they do begin in 2021. The clocks but, are ticking, guys. But, uh, um, but would anyone really notice that if you bring in a bunch of Polynesian and uh, Kiwi players? And suddenly the Hawaiian team is um, winning the Western Conference and making it to the MLR final, similar to the uh, Las Vegas Golden Knights. Have, have people been complaining about this? I haven't really. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Maybe, oh, wow, maybe I got to. But here's this. the thing is like, I, I, I've been digging about this whole thing because it's been, it's been interesting. I saw one complaint and then you kind of go looking for other complaints. And, uh, you know, so you're kind of looking for, I don't know. It's, I'm, I mean, I'm looking for a fight to pick, you know, that, yeah, that's what I, I, I don't know. I think, I mean, they, you know, Kilgore did that one big interview with the uh, MLR rant and stuff the day before the, uh, the bid was kind of announced. So, I mean, I think like, I don't know like what you expect, like, what do you expect? Like, like you said, like TSN, <laughs> ES, like want interviews on ESPN. Like, I mean, dude, like we said, Hey man, the NHL's coming back and they're locking in like 12 hours of hockey a day. Like Canada's sports stations are like, that is the time is locked down. Um, so yeah, like, I don't know. Like, like you said, it's like, it's a, it's a big deal um, in New Zealand. If they make it a big deal in New Zealand and stuff and you know, Hey, like, you know, at the end of the day, too, man, like you want you want people watching Major League Rugby, man. And if there's, you know, if there's people in New Zealand that are like, hey, like, you know, I want to watch this Hawaiian team. If they're in Major League Rugby, then awesome. Um, you know, there's, you know, if. And then people are people are going to look at teams yeah. like the Toronto Arrows and go, oh, Taylor Adams, former. Yeah, like, like I think I think that's the, oh, that's the cool thing. Like, it's like we're still we're still kind of new and stuff. Right. And it's like, hey, you know what? Like TSN right now. Hey, like. You know, like I said, they, they're going to have 12 hours of hockey coming up. Um, and But, like, you know. Yeah, they can't even have... be bothered to play the arrows in an hour because of Division Two F1 racing had a rain delay. So, yeah, no, you know, there's that. But, hard but though, it's like, you know, the arrows in an hour has been great, and like, right? And, you know, they are picking up rugby. They got to the Super Rugby is on TSN. They're playing those games live um, and on demand. But, I mean, live obviously is at, like, 3 a.m. But, or at least it's at 3 a.m. here in Ontario where we're recording. It might be on a more friendly time frame if you're out in BC or something. But, um, but like, yeah, they're showing those games live, right? And, I mean, even, like, I guess Super Rugby too, right? Like, if you're looking at, like, an 11 o'clock game, like, that's, what, 8.30? Like, the 11.30 Super Rugby game is 8.30. Like, it's primetime Saturday night game in BC, right? So, you know, that's, that's a good thing to see and stuff. And, but, you know... 
those outlets, TSN, ESPN, it's still like this, they put, they put, they might play like live games and stuff and not necessarily doing features on rugby yet, which is something that we kind of all have to go to. And maybe people would like to see, you know, them reaching out to more or like, you know, to have, yeah, they have ESPN outlets and stuff. From yeah. The, like, Hey, like that does most of their writing for them. And, 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 you know, they have written an article about this. Like they did. Yeah, they no, did it's, it's awesome. It. It's like, it's in rugby world. It's in rugby pass, know, rugby pass. Like a lot of like those other, like the media outlets that focus on rugby are covering it. And we're talking about major league rugby and, you know, we had a major league rugby had a five game season this year and there's no chance that we're coming back. Like it's out until 2021, you know, whereas there's other big league, big leagues in the world, like super rugby. Um, and, you know, I guess the premiership will be on its way back sometime in August. And it's like, Hey man, like right now, like some of the biggest rugby news outlets are talking about major league rugby, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. I mean, like, I think I'm curious to be honest with you. Like I'd love to be like, you know, um, if like, you know, an interview with, Kilgore and be like hey man like how hard has this been like being like you can't travel anywhere like trying to establish yeah. like a team where it's like maybe that's also part of the reason why like they're doing eggs because it's like they're in New Zealand or they're in um you know different parts of you know the you know those Polynesian countries um because like yeah we're on like a travel ban is in place in basically most parts of the world so we'll, we'll you know, get into the travel ban that's causing yeah exactly we got we got a little aggressive. ARC talk coming up but hey man maybe that's Maybe that's why, like, maybe for right now, like, it's easier to, to organize interviews with them. Maybe that's part of it because, you know, they are there and stuff. Right. And, sure. you know, maybe it's, there's, there's a lot, I don't know. It's um, like, I wouldn't necessarily like, I mean, maybe, yeah, if they're trying to get into a North American league, maybe, maybe there is something there that you would like to see them reaching out to more North American, uh, American outlets. But then I think, you know, like, we like we're a North American outlet. I mean, if we want to, like, we sh- if we want to have you know Kilgore on our podcast to talk about Hawaii, like, we should reach out to him and see if, if he'd be willing to do it, right? So, you know, it's it's not like we can. I, I just don't think we can sit here and complain about you know if he's not doing like North American media and stuff. And it's like, well, hey, we're North American media, like, but we also have it. I don't know. I haven't sent him like a message to be like, Hey, come oh, on. And listen, I, 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 like I said at the beginning of this whole little block, I have no qualms with this at all. Yeah. I, so that you go to where you don't, you don't fish in, in a, in a puddle, you fish in the pond. Right. And New Zealand and, like and said, the Polynesian like, countries hey, man, are like the pond. Like this ownership group, a lot of former all blacks. They're probably well connected with the, uh, the rugby media in New Zealand. So, yeah, it's, I, I don't know. I feel like we've talked about this for f- far more longer than it should be. <laughs> I haven't even seen any of it though, which means maybe I should be spending more time on my phone. Um, but Hey, you know, <laughs> there's some nice weather and uh, nice weather. And I went on a lovely hike and uh, kind of enjoy enjoyed the weekend a little bit here. So listen, you're better off not hearing all the complaining yeah. in the world, but you know, we, we are going to move on <laughs> and uh, we, we, we kind of teased it earlier, but we're going to, we're going to dive right into the cancellation of the America's rugby championship. Uh, so we, it's officially been confirmed. Uh, we will not be seeing it in any form in 2020. And again, there are constant rumors about what the future of this tournament is going to look like. Um, but Brian Ray, our, our guest we had a few weeks ago um, on his website, America's Rugby News, has said that neither Canada or the U.S. will be playing any more test matches in 2020 due to border closures. Um, so they will not be playing each other. Uh, Canada just does not uh, 
has set it up so it makes it almost impossible. Um, and also, even going into South America right now, they're having a really tough time with, with COVID-19 in South America. So, you know, what can Canada do, Canada do right now? I yeah. mean, the, the national team isn't going to play any test matches until when? I mean, who knows? Who knows? 2021, I mean, if you're not going to play in, in the winter when the ARC is normally played – are they waiting until the summer to play in the 2021 ARC? Like that's a long time. You know, Derek, help help me out fill this bridge of what are the, what's the national team even going to do? Yeah, I mean, I think it's one of those things where, like, in talking to, I did an interview on Layman Sports with uh, Ben Lesage, Jamie McKenzie, and Dan Moore, and you know, they kind of touched on, this was before Moore announced his retirement. So um, they were kind of touching in on how like what part of the hardest part of COVID is kind of like, or one of the hardest parts, uh, I guess, of the mental aspect is like, you know, staying fit and, you know, keeping well-trained for like a question mark of it's like, you have no idea when you're coming back. And now we know major league rugby isn't coming back to 2021. And now it's like, well, you know, test rugby for Canada is looking incredibly bleak. And it's, yeah, like you're basically, it'll be interesting, man. Like the next, you know, cause a lot, uh, especially major league rugby, right? Like a lot of the players in the league, like are, you know, Canadian, they're American, um, they're Uruguayan, Argentinian, um, you know, there's, I guess if you're Argentinian, I guess like you might be heading over to New Zealand, the only place in the world that has seemed to have returned to, normalcy in any way shape and form there um so if you got them kind of going on like you're gonna have a lot of players in mlr next year that are have gone like like we're only on week five man like there's gonna be a lot of players in mlr that haven't played like a rugby game in almost a full calendar year by the time it actually kicks off right and i mean who knows we're still kind of waiting on you know maybe some of the club seasons and stuff can start up and maybe they'll get some of the experience for that but, you know, like, I don't know. And I don't really know what you can do as far as international play. Because, you know, even um, Brian Ray's report on America's Rugby News, he was saying that, you know, they're they're leaving the door open for some, like, regionalized competition. And, I mean, like, you know, like, there's certain co- – like, you kind of look at it. It's like the ARC consists of the United States and Brazil are part of that, which are the two worst countries in the world for COVID-19. <laughs> right? So <laughs> – like and they're both within the it's all so like regional regional development like i mean okay like like who does canada play because it's like we're not playing the united states like look at look at the you know look at pro sports right now man like even we're recording this on a sunday so even today like mls games toronto fc versus dc united gets canceled because a player gets covid or which they've suspected. actually postponed to tomorrow i i, I got postponed, a notification it's about postponed that. till tomorrow all right so yeah. they're running into issues with players having COVID. the toronto blue jays went down to do like training in florida lasted a week and we're like what are we doing here we have canada that we're allowed to be in so let's everybody back to that get out just yeah. get out the, like the the uh you know the nhl was like okay where can we put the hub cities and everyone's like yeah put them in canada um right and it's like and you know like that's the thing i was like we kind of joked about it before it's like it's it's that bad i guess in parts of the states of like you don't want to necessarily go for like because covid is like that bad and it's like someone was like, hey, we got to spend four months in a location, bubble, alone, you can't leave. Do you want to go to Vegas or Edmonton and 
you people are like Edmonton. Ed, like Edmonton wins over Vegas and like like that's the situation in the United States right like it's like you would rather spend time I guess it's the summer though so it's not as bad but like yeah like that's what you kind of get to pick and stuff and it's like you know you kind of see the MLS players you see some of the NBA players the Tampa Bay Lightning and stuff and it's like all these you know there's a lot of like I don't understand why people are going to Florida and stuff but it's like you know, and I mean, test rugby matches don't usually happen in Florida, but they're still bad parts of the United States, right? So the regional competition, like regional, like when I look at like, if you're doing regional, I'm assuming that's a, assuming that Team USA plays against Team Canada, because that would be the regional, like unless, you know, it's, I don't know, play Mexico or one of the Caribbean islands. Um, but yeah, so I don't really see how that would happen. And I mean, also too, like Trudeau's being super strict with the border, right? So, I mean, I don't think they would be, I don't, I feel like, you know, maybe the Canadian government's not going to be too open to being like, yeah, have USA rugby team come up here for like a one-off game or something either. Right. So um, who knows, man, maybe we're looking at, you know, we've heard that the, uh, the arrows looking at some exhibition games and stuff. And even for them, like, Hey, like, do you guys want to travel to New York or something right now? Like, um, and you know, maybe that'll change by October. Maybe that'll change by November. Um, But maybe they end up, you know, playing like, you know, like doing like a, some split squad stuff or playing Pacific pride or playing like, you know, some version of the Canadian national team or something like that instead as part of their exhibition games. Maybe that's a way that maybe that's something that they look at instead. Um, because yeah, like you said, it's tough to travel between borders right now. So, you know, it's, it's not a surprise at all that the, um, ARC is canceled. To be honest, I'm kind of surprised it took this long to officially cancel it. Yeah. And so, so Stu, you know, as, as a fan, as someone that's kind of been watching all these players on Instagram kind of twiddle their thumbs and, you know, work out at home, what, what do you see as the solution? Like what, 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 what can we possibly do? We've got, you know, on, on the table right now we have maybe play some type of arrow Canada matchup, maybe have like Uruguay come up and isolate for two weeks and do like a best out of three test series in Canada. You know, what do you kind of see as like a, a short term solution to kind of keep all these athletes fit? Well, something that reminds me of a situation that happened in 2014, obviously not the same thing as a global um, pandemic, but it um, basically. Um, was in 2014, um, all the Welsh teams in the then Pro 12 were eliminated from the Pro 12 playoffs. So they essentially had about three to four weeks um, of not playing before they would then go on tour to South Africa. So what they did was do a senior trial, which would be the first 15 or the first 23 and then essentially like the next 23 and it would be on the on the same lines as an exhibition game so um you'd have uh 15 players in red and 15 players in white and red and white are also the colors of canada or red and black as it was shown in the last world cup so maybe it could be possible to have a senior trial for the Canadian players that are in Canada and it can include some of the under 20 players as well and because it'll be an exhibition game you don't have to be uh, restricted on how many substitutions you can have now I'm not saying 
you have two teams of 30 and they just change at half time. Um, I'm saying that, you know, you can mix and match and it will give um, good experience for um, the coaches to see um, which players work well together. And you know what? And if it's going to be a case of, oh, we're not going to be opening the border anytime soon, then you know what? Make it like a best of uh, three series. And it could be, it could all be on um, Victoria or it could be somewhere in BC. Um, maybe even have a game in Toronto if it's organized by, say, September, October. I think any time after like the second week of October is going to be too cold. And um, and then I think the important thing, which is what uh, Rugby Canada and um, the USA have been saying, is obviously the money side of it. So if it gets to the point where Canada can reopen enough to have um, guests in attendance, even if it's just as socially distant, you can then sell tickets or you can sell the TV rights to them to say TSN. And because that's going to be the main thing for Rugby Canada, because as much as we love the sport, it is also a business and they still need to make money from this. So that's just, that's just one suggestion. I'm not saying it's the suggestion to go yeah. for. I'm just saying that if, if we can't um, be playing international games and we can only restrict ourselves to Canada, then that's an option to have. Yeah. One more thing to talk about with the ARC is that, uh, I, and again, this is also from America's Rugby News uh, from their article saying that the tournament favors support from America's Rugby North, so Canada, U.S., uh, Mexico, um, and Chile and Brazil. So if we're going off of what information has been given to us so far, it, it seemingly says that Uruguay and Argentina are still kind of in their period of frustration. So if they can somehow appease Uruguay and Argentina, I feel like the tournament does have a future because I mean, the problem is, is Uruguay and Argentina are two of the, of the best in the tournament so it's hard to say well we want you to keep coming back you know when all these other countries are saying we're fine with the way things are you know when the two two of the powerhouses are saying we need change change tends to happen so it's going to be interesting to see how things kind of develop in the next couple of uh, it could be more than that it could be a year well i think i mean yeah i kind of i think stu's kind of right First of all, just to be like, yeah, I think, you know, if, if you want to do something to keep, uh, you know, the Canadian players and the arrow, like arrows fit and in shape and get some games under their belt, it's probably going to be, you know, maybe within Canada. Um, but, you know, just kind of play games like sort of with each other, combine some rosters or something to that extent. But, you know, yeah, maybe, you know, th- there is issues within, uh, you know, America's rugby and it's you know maybe maybe the ARC being canceled isn't necessarily the worst thing you know maybe you can take this time during you know teams don't necessarily have a tournament or tests to prepare for so you know maybe you can kind of take that to hopefully you know pop on some zoom calls as in the you know the new biggest trend of 2020 and you know maybe like you know sort out some of these issues and stuff you know you can have that you know, have like a little like airing of grievances amongst the countries and be like festivist. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Get the uh, the little rugby festivist going on and be like, 
you know, air it out. Be like, hey, like, why, why is, you know, South America, you know, Uruguay um, and uh, Argentina specifically, or at least, you know, the heads of uh, Sudamerica rugby, uh, like, yeah, have that out and be like, why are you so mad at Canada? Why are you so mad? Why at are you Rand? mad, bro? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, there's, I'm sure there's a justification and stuff for it. Obviously, you know, it seems like the core of that is the fact that, you know, Canada voted for and voted for uh, Beaumont instead of Pichot and, you know, Rand split their vote there. So, it, you know, if that's the, you know, the gist of what they're really upset about, and it's like, maybe you got to work on a way to fix that, or maybe, you know, maybe there's a way to go about doing it. I'm not sure what that way is, but maybe, you know, maybe if there's no tournament until, I guess, when was the ARC supposed to start here? Like August, like early August was supposed uh, to be the first one. Cause they would have been yeah. playing those I mean, games against like Italy and the French barbarians or something right now. Um, so, but it's like, yeah, so maybe you got like a full, you got like a lengthy stretch of time, like near, probably nearly a full calendar year or something to like when you would want to play the ARC next year. So maybe that gives you time to like hash out some of the details and, you know, work on mending that relationship that has clearly been fractured, I guess, as a result of the uh, world rugby election. August 15th would have been the start. Yeah, okay. So August 15th, so they're canceling it a full month before the first game, um, which you know makes a ton of sense, obviously. But yeah, you know, it's the same thing. It's like hopefully they just, you know, like I said, hop on some Zoom calls, do some Zoom calls with the head of all the unions and stuff, and uh, or you know, a more secure way or whatever government organizations actually do, and um, you know, just work on how to solve those issues and stuff. And you know what? Maybe if those issues aren't solved, man, maybe it's you know, you got the time to lay the groundwork to uh, figure out what you're going to do without an ARC, right? So maybe it goes, you know, one or two ways. But, hey, maybe that is one of the bright sides. Maybe you got some time to figure something out. So one of, uh, one of Rugby Canada's legends has been uh, quite the busy beaver in the media. Uh, that's one, one, way, one way to put it. Uh, DTH Vandermerver uh, has been kind of shopping his services as, as you would. Um, he, he kind of brought it up first on the Loose Heads podcast, talking about what was next. Um, and he kind of uh, mentioned that he was ready for a couple more years of rugby. And I mean, in a selfish way, this pandemic was great for him in terms of he basically got a sabbatical year <laughs> from playing rugby. So, you know, with, with a filled back line in Glasgow, it was time for him to move on. Um, and then uh, being interviewed by a South American paper, he kind of let the bomb drop that he is going to MLR, uh, be it with a, an American franchise. Um, so my question to you guys is, who do you think it really is the best fit for DTH? And I know that there's a lot of places. And, and, and the easy answer, I know Derek is going to say it, the easy answer is anyone could take him. Like really, any, he, the best fit is he's one of the best school players in Canadian rugby history. That, that actually wasn't going to be my answer because there's – there is teams that he fits on a lot better than some other ones. Okay. So, so, but thank you for just throwing my, he's a great player. So he could, any team would, any team should want DTH. Not every team needs, needs DTH. DTH. There's a difference. So Stu, I'll have you go first because I just, I know Derek so well. 
<laughs> I want you to I want you to surprise me. I want you to shock me with what you're about to say. Well, seeing as I've already outed Vicky Lani as being Superman, I've got another conspiracy theory. <laughs> we have DTH announcing that he's joining MLR in the same week that Hawaii say they need 90, in 90 days. <laughs> oh. uh, so, I don't know, maybe uh, across the uh, Pacific thing in Hawaii. Um, on Seriously, though, I can see him going to L.A., and if he hadn't announced his retirement from international duty, I would have said Seattle instead, obviously being very close to uh, Rugby Canada's headquarters in uh, Victoria. Obviously, he has an, he announced it last year. And so I think um, with the uh, bigger uh, Jill Bucks coming through, I think that uh, they can afford uh, Vandermoa to play and so i need to say la or austin and that's just because same ownership group i think as you said there are many teams that would want but not many teams that would need um there has been very little news i've seen from la about wingers or fullbacks so or who knows yeah i mean i think yeah i think um I, yeah, C- Seattle's an interesting one, but they have Hassler and Staller, and, you know, Staller kicks their goals and stuff. So that's a, you know, he plays a big role on that team, and obviously Jeff Hassler as well. And so it's like, I don't really necessarily see, like, I feel like he doesn't want to go somewhere and be like a backup or be having to fight for a position, but who knows? Um, I agree with Stu. LA makes a lot of sense. Um, and, you know, kind of for the same reason, too. Um, I think Dallas could make some sense because, hey, like they're they're the two teams that have to fill out rosters, right? Like everybody else kind of has a little starting point. Um, you know, Hawaii, as Stu mentioned, that's uh, – I'm not – like he said it's almost done. So I feel like that already rules out Hawaii because they can't sign players yet because they're not in the league. So if it's almost done, I think – but I would kind of go with just for the basis of the fact that they're expansion teams, LA Dallas makes sense. Cause they got to fill out the rosters. Um, Atlanta, they, they lost their starting winger in uh, Harley Wheeler uh, as he's going to venture and take a shot at being, you know, going to the Olympics with the uh, USA sevens team. So they're down there starting winger. So that makes sense to have DTH go there, I think. And maybe, Old Glory DC because of their connection to the Scottish Rugby Union and DTH being a Glasgow legend. Maybe there's, you know, maybe somebody there was able to uh, make that connection with Old Glory DC. All, you know, all this right now, speculation, of course. We um, know basically all that DTH has told us, which was essentially it's an American team. So Toronto Arrows ruled out. I know maybe Arrows fans, because he's a Canadian legend, might be kind of disappointed with that. But, you know, um, the new guy that's replacing Dan Moore is pretty damn good. So um, there's there's no need to worry there. And the arrows back three, like the wingers fullback, it's like it's really deep. And I think ultimately they're one of those teams that it's like, yeah, you probably want DTH, like, but you don't need him ultimately. Whereas, you know, Dallas, LA, they need pretty much every position because they're an expansion team. Um, so that fits the bill there. Atlanta needs a winger Scotland connection with, uh, old glory DC. So those would be, those are kind of my four that I would handicap as 
favorites in acquiring the services of Mr. Vandermerber? I think you uh, bring up a, uh, an interesting point um, about Dallas is that they need players. And also, I mean, who did da- uh, the Jackals pick with the first overall pick was uh, Moneyham, uh, young, young winger. And if you want that young winger to learn, I mean, one of the most prolific try scorers in the Pro 14 and in Canada's history is a pretty damn good guy to have teaching your, your young lad if you want to make an investment on his future. But uh, I think I'm going to go with, with Rugby ATL. I think you made a good point, Derek, about Harley Wheeler moving on. And, uh, and, you know, you talk about having a couple of guys that you're familiar with in terms of uh, the national team with uh, Matt Heaton, especially who had that, that leadership kind of role with, with Rugby ATL. He's going to make sure he takes care, takes care of uh, uh, DTH's family. And, again, <laughs> why not live in, in, in Atlanta? It's a beautiful city. And I mean, I thought about Seattle, but I'm like, you know what? You just spent a lot of time in a rainy, rainy country. You might want a little bit more sunshine. And uh, Atlanta is quite a beautiful place. Yeah. Um, I think, though, ultimately, you know, it's going to suck when we, uh, he does sign and we look back on this podcast episode and he signed for like Utah. Oh, yeah. So I'll be like, look like fools. Says- yeah, we, we just kind of listed off half the league, I guess, in total there. So um, he's going to so who didn't we list? It's going to be yeah. anybody from those teams. We said – oh, we also were like definitely not Toronto. And then we're going to be like, ah. <laughs> ah, well, uh, nevertheless. I'm very conf- – I'm confident that it's not Toronto. But, um, the uh, yeah, who knows? Who knows where it ends up? All we got to go off of right now, an American team. So lots of, uh, lots of speculation can be had. It's always fun to do, though. You know, it, it's – do you guys – and one thing he kind of mentioned in, in the, the, the podcast episode is, you know, he might have a little bit more of a run left in him for another World Cup. Do we think that's really, you know, attainable for a guy his age? Is that something that, you know, should we get Canadian fans' hopes up is what I'm, I'm kind of thinking about. I would say it's not impossible, but it's also not likely. I think that this is time now for um, Canada to be focusing on the young players, the up-and-comers, and because and, uh, DTH is already in his early 30s. So, no, I, I'm not, I'm not going to rule him out because he's obviously a world-class player and he's been playing in um, some of the best leagues in the world. So he definitely has the experience for it, but... He he's already retired, and uh, I think it was like when we're talking about when Dan Moore retired. It's better to retire on your terms rather than you know be stretched off the field and have to make the announcement that uh, your body's given out on you. So I I wouldn't be upset if he was to play in a uh, twenty twenty three, but I'm also not holding out hope for it. Yeah, um, I'm kind of on the same lines as Stu. I think uh, when we had a couple episodes ago when we had Brian Ray on, I was mentioning that, you know, if we got to play an ARC game or like what I would want to see my starting 15 look like. And, you know, yeah, I want to lean young. I think, you know, Canada has been on a bit of a steady decline down the world rankings as of late. And um, 
you know, can't even, can't seem to buy a win against, you know, even the United States, which was a team that used to, we used to beat frequently. Right. So it's, um, I, I think it's one of those things where, you know, obviously DTH is great. He's a legend and it might be tough to say no to him if he wants to come back, but, uh, but you know, maybe you find like another way he can help a world cup bid, some sort of like coaching role, some sort of like player ambassador, player welfare kind of guy. Um, do something like that maybe with them. But I think, you know, it's time to kind of turn the page on that. And I think we got to start getting some of the younger guys caps, start getting the younger guys experience and let them build towards a world cup. And, you know, even if 2023 world cup, even if it's not that great, it's like gets them building that. And maybe you can like, you know, build towards, you know, 20, um, 2027 or, you know, if people were, saying it's like you know there's that there's the talk about having a world cup bid in north america as well so like you know maybe that's something that's like you got to start building towards that because if you want the game to grow in north america if you were to end up getting that kind of a world cup or something it's like the best way to build it is having usa and canada as the national team succeed and i think right now for canada we're kind of on a bit of a decline um and, you know, I think, I believe, what was it? The only test match we won last year was against Chile. And mm-hmm. then we beat the uh, BC, BC All-Stars. All-Stars. That's those are Canada's two wins last year. Um, who knows what would have happened with Namibia? I mean, Namibia's never won a game at the World Cup, but, like, I, I feel like that, like, that's probably a lot closer maybe than some people would like to think that that game would have been. And, you know, it would have been a tough contest and who knows what back, who would have actually come out on top in that one. Um, so like, it's one of those things where you didn't get to see it. So who knows, but I think for all those reasons, man, like it's time to, it's time to turn the page. Like, even if he wants to come back, like it might be tough to say no to him, but I feel like you, you got to do it because you know, it's, you've been, he's been at four world cups and stuff already. Um, you know, we Canada as a country hasn't made the quarterfinal at a World Cup since 1991, so never in the professional era. And you know, it's it's time to turn the page and kind of start building toward. That's what you want with MLR, and I think that's where he would he should be. I think like MLR is a great spot for him because it's like, like I said, it's like he can come in and be a mentor to young North American players. You know, maybe it's a Canadian winger, depending. Like if he goes to Old Glory DC, you got Doug Frazier who. You know, he's 28, so maybe not necessarily in the super young category, but maybe a guy that could play at the next World Cup if he did develop, although he would be, I think, 31, 32 years old at the World Cup. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, or, you know, even some of those Ameri- like some of those American guys, he can help somebody develop to be an eagle, hopefully, um, you know, just because he's a North American player that excelled at the highest level, did more than excel, like, the guy's a legend over in Glasgow and, you know, he's the third all time leading try scorer in um, pro 14. So it's like that. You don't get too many guys from North America that have had a better career than DTH. So for sure uh, he can, I think, I think it's time to go to that mentorship role. And I mean, if he wants to play like bang out another five years, playing major league rugby, all the power to him. I'd love to see it. Um, but I think the time with the national team's done. We're going to finish off with just a couple of quick notes. Um, and, and we've had a couple of signings that uh, are interesting, but uh, we just want to kind of quickly cover them. Uh, Nick Hilton brand um, signs with the Houston Sabercats. 
a member of Canada's Pacific Pride program. You know, an interesting prospect was apparently supposed to play last year, but uh, due to the visa issues, it wasn't cleared up till the day before the league was canceled. So it'll be exciting to see him next year. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, he got to play with, uh, with pride a lot, uh, developed well. Um, you know, <coughs> pride generally consists of guys that are a little bit younger, but there are a handful of older players, you know, um, like Hildenbrand, who is 25 years old. But, you know, part of that is just because, you know, as a prop, you know, props, tight props, and for that matter, even Loxley, though, you know, those tight five guys sometimes take a little bit longer to develop. So that's one of the great things about what Pacific Pride is doing and, you know, is that you give those guys a shot that are maybe like on the cusp of maybe being able to play an MLR, but maybe not quite there. You can bring them in for a season and, you know, after the season, it's like, yeah, a team in a major league rugby is wants to offer them a contract. Um, so it's great to see him going to Houston. He can play on both sides of the scrum, which is going to be a, which is a benefit to every single team when you have a prop that can, is able to do that. Um, yeah. Uh, he's, very aggressive style of play. His aggression is a great thing to have. It's a good asset in a prop as well. And, um, you know, his, his ball carrying ability, his ability with ball in hand and stuff is, you know, very good for a prop as well. So it should be a big asset to the Houston Sabercats. And, you know, great to see, you know, they seem to be uh, looking north of the border for talent as of late. And uh, hopefully that continues. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. We have Hiltebrand with the Sabercats. We have Vihilani for the Arrows, and both in the uh, uh, MLR. Um, obviously, different conferences, but, may, but uh, maybe we'll see them uh, play against each other in uh, 2021 after being in uh, Pacific Pride previously. Yeah, yeah I so that's also great too because i mean we've had uh it's two pacific pride players and vicky lani and hilden brand that have signed during this week um you know one thing i don't even think we really touched on it um back when we were talking about the signings but um vicky lani was he's the the fifth player from the pacific pride to play for the toronto arrows already had uh giuseppe Trois, uh mitch richardson tyler Rowland, and will kelly have suited up for the pride and the arrows already um, so when Vicky Lani plays his first game as an arrow, he'll be the fifth guy to do that. Um, so it's good to kind of to get to kind of see some of the returns. I think po- Povey's also played for the Pride a little bit, and now he's also down in Houston. So good to see that Pride. You know, it's still the early stages of Pride, and they kind of had, you know, they had their first season, which you know starts in starting in 2019 and stuff and going through with the BC Premier League but it was like still their their first season got cut short due to COVID-19 too so um be interesting to see like also next year as the program keeps growing um and be like I'm I'm very curious to see how many more guys are able to uh you know turn that experience with Pacific Pride into MLR contracts and you know one guy that we were kind of shopping around uh, maybe getting a uh, major league contract has uh, decided to stay in France. You know, uh, Taylor Paris has signed in France with uh, Oni Oni Oninax. Uh, sorry, French fans, if I did get the name right, but he is dropping down to Pro D two. Um, you know, Taylor is you know in the prime of his career right now, and he has dealt with some injuries, so maybe Casares didn't want to take a chance with him, but. It's good to see him stick in France, you know, having as many pros overseas as we can. 
is, is great. Um, and the Pro D2 is still probably one of the stronger competitions in the world. So uh, good on him for finding a place. Um, and the last thing, gentlemen, I want to talk about is um, the uh, MLR has announced that the rugby shop has become the official merchandising partner uh, from here on out. Um, this is a Canadian-run business. Um, if you look at their, their, all their executives, they're all – the cool thing, if you go to the website, it kind of talks about where they're from, clubs they've played in, where they ref, you know, what level of coach they are. So not only are they uh, uh, Canadian, but these guys are, are you know, uh, rugby lifers through and through. So it's, it's exciting to see them uh, kind of catch a big fish like MLR. Now, my last question of the night is, uh, what do you guys want to see done with the store and fan gear? Because it's been kind of a wild west of, of merchandising in MLR. You know, every team's kind of handled it on their own. So now, if the way it looks, it's, it's going to be a little bit more centralized through the rugby shop. What do you want to see done? I mean, for me, I just – it's nice to just see, like, a, you know, easy access to fans and stuff. Like – you know, there's a lot of the other, you know, major leagues in uh, North America, like, you know, you usually have like, you know, the, NA, the official NHL shop, official um, like NBA shop and all that going through. And, you know, they all have like a centralized place online where you can buy gear from any team. Um, so if you can, you know, if, if you have a new fan that's like, hey, man, like, where can I get a Seattle Seawolves jersey? It'll be nice to just be like, hey, like you can just rugbyshop.com they have every team um and that you can kind of put that out as far as gear it's like man there's a lot of teams that have some really awesome gear already so there's part of that that's just like put that up on the website the free jacks have uh some awesome like you know sort of throwback jerseys or like those like long sleeve cotton ones that they've been uh you know kind of advertising on their social media as of late seattle's got some really cool looking stuff i like toronto's gear as well um and, you know, I just kind of – it'll be interesting. I'm, I'm curious to see what they do, like, as far as, like, a launch. I, I like – and um, – but, yeah, I think it's just, you know, have a – like, an an easy place for fans, especially for new fans, that it's, like, you could just kind of go to, like, become the go-to place to, you know, get merchandise from every – and, you know, even – right now like it's not like a lot of mlr stuff it's not like we can go to sport check and pick up like a seawolves jersey or a dallas jackals hat or something right like it'll be mm -hmm. um so it's like you kind of have to rely on you know teams online stores and i think you know if major league rugby is willing to you know is partnering with the rugby shop it's like that's you know a one-stop area i can you know, instead of maybe even like, that's the great thing about it, right? Instead of being like, all right, I want an arrows hat. So I got to go to the Toronto arrows website. And then I have to go to, you know, the Gilgronies website to get a t-shirt from them. And now I have to go to rugby ATL site because I want a ball with their logo on it. You could just like, ideally, hopefully you can just go to rugby shop and be like arrows hat, Gilgroni shirt, rugby ATL ball, and it all gets shipped out to you. So hopefully that's what happens. I would like to see that basically is just make it easier, make it easier on fans to acquire your gear. Yeah, I agree with Derek. I think um, one-stop shopping will be great for everyone. And uh, I mean, I was trying to get uh, Nola Gold's Mardi Gras kit from uh, this season, but 
but apparently they, either they weren't selling them or if they did, they sold out really quickly and that was a pain. Um, one thing I've noticed from um, other rugby clubs is that their um, store is divided into four different sections. There's a replica kit, there's training wear, there's leisure wear, and then there's accessories. And so any so one thing a replica kit I would like to see, and this might be um, a bit interesting, is um, shorts. Because we always get the top, but I think having the shorts as well completes the look entirely, especially when it comes to the summer months and wearing trousers and pants are just, no, you can't do it. You just, you gotta let, you gotta show off the calves and uh, let everyone see your legs. <laughs> oh, Stu, you are preaching to the choir, buddy. I've been living in rugby shorts most of this, uh, this summer. And I, and it's funny cause I, I was actually looking at the Toronto Arrow stuff like yesterday, thinking about maybe ordering some shorts and they weren't there. So I think that's a great point. You can't, uh, you can't wear a jersey and shorts to the stands in a game. No, like you can't. You but can't, I still you want can't the shorts. Not with that on, attitude. Like, yeah. Yeah. No, man. Oh, Mr. Suit and tie. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Sure. I'll wear whatever the hell I want. Yeah. Oh, okay. I mean, yeah. Teacher. Hey, if you show up, if if you show up, I'm not going to judge you. You gotta. You can't, you can't be judging people's attire. We gotta all show up, be supportive of the league. Um, I. You know, yeah. I don't know. As, I, don't, I feel student, like I don't need shorts. I feel like I don't need shorts. All I'm getting up. No, but man, rugby shorts are just the most comfiest. Yeah. Rugby comfiest. socks. Let's get socks on the site. Rugby socks, socks are pretty, delightful, pretty man. Those are socks so would comfortable. Be a good goal, yeah. yeah. Now, so as it stands right now, there only one team has an in like an actual brick and mortar store you can go to, and that's Rugby ATL. So it, it will be very interesting does, to see how. Does Houston, Houston doesn't have a store at their stadium? I feel like they, they might have a they store. Might have, they stadium. might have a, a store there, but I'm talking about one that, that's outside of their their stadium or like what I would the imagine you could. Have. I would the imagine have a like a brick and mortar store across the they, street. They don't anymore, though. Um, well, yeah, I would not be surprised <laughs> if they they ended that yeah. lease early. Because yeah, they, of they, 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 they don't COVID. anymore. Um, uh, but they did when games were actually playing. They did. They did. Um, I, I want to see. I, I think the only really thing that I want to see. And this is more just a personal gripe about rugby jerseys is I feel like providers of kits make jerseys thinking that everyone is playing in the UK, that everyone's just playing rugby in the fall or when it's cold. But like, honestly, I just want a rugby Jersey. That's not as thick. Like I'm currently wearing a Kappa Wolfpack Jersey and it's, it's a thick Jersey. And I want one that's like a little bit thinner. I'm not going to say it's as thin as a soccer Jersey, but something that's just a little bit more airy because I'm tired of these rugby jerseys that are so thick and like I'm sweating within like 35 minutes of wearing it without having done anything. So that's my only grip. So that's what I want to see from the rugby shop to work on. So you want the rugby shop to sell t-shirts? No, 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 no. I want the replica jerseys that if they're going to make them to make them a little bit thinner, that's just all I want. It's a little bit thinner. But then it's not—it's not a jersey at that point, though. That's part of what a rugby jersey is. Yeah, but is. you can make a rugby jersey out of the same material, but just like a tad thinner, right? a little bit more room to breathe. Also, I'm not sure the rugby shop though would have any say in what the. the I feel like they would have a little bit the say. Yeah, I'm not the really sure. Onto their, well, I know in some um, rugby uh, teams in the UK, will have three different categories of 
uh, jersey, there'll be players fit, there'll be pro fit and supporters fit. And players fit is skin tight. So if you have anything more than a six pack, it's not going to look good on you. <laughs> and it also costs the most. Um, there's the profit, which is not, is like the middle ground in terms of pricing and in terms of fit, it's you know, a bit tight in certain areas. And then there's the supporters fit, which I'm sure um, is a bit thinner for Daniel. And, um, but then again, I would also say that having a good selection of say supporters t-shirts will also be good, especially for a casual fan because I mean, I I know all three of us would be willing to fork over a um, hundred dollars for next season's jersey, but maybe uh, friends that we bring along for one game would only be comfortable with parting, say, thirty to forty dollars for a T-shirt to commemorate becoming an Arrows fan. And um, and yeah, and if you look on um, the RugbyShop.com at the moment, they have um stuff for men stuff for women stuff for children uh one thing that i would like to see is that and this is for um the families out there is uh baby onesies because i know a number of sports teams have um onesies for um zero to six months and then six to twelve months and you know and you know sometimes you can't always uh, get a babysitter but you can get a noise cancelling headphones and uh, take them along to a game and you know, you know indoctrinate I mean um, get them started early is uh, one of those yeah we've brought we brought my daughter to uh, to some rugby games last year in Toronto so it's uh, it, listen it, it's quite easy to, to make that happen so I like that that's it's a very sweet uh, sentiment well gentlemen I think we're going to finish off there tonight um, again if anyone is uh, interested in listening to our podcast uh we now have uh facebook and instagram that are active and and posting frequently about our latest episodes and questions about uh you know latest news in canadian rugby uh we posted an article the article that dth was talking about and uh, we'd love to hear from you guys about what you guys have been thinking about some of the latest things that have been happening in MLR around the world and on our Twitter and Facebook there is a and Instagram there are links to our uh, website's uh, host for our uh, our podcast and it'll have all the episodes there we're on Apple we're on Spotify we're on uh, you know Podstitcher we're on a whole bunch of different platforms so feel free to uh, to go back into the bank and, and listen to some of our previous episodes uh, gentlemen, thank you once again, and uh, hopefully, you know, we will be hearing some more announcements from the Arrows and uh, drooling more about the possibilities of, scr- of tries being scored. <laughs>